Episode 7. After the show, don't forget to visit tell.fish slash gear to get our recommendations on gear that will take your angling adventures to the next level and help make you the next Telltale Fisherman. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Okay, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Don Enoch. Don, welcome. Thanks, I appreciate it. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, Don is a good friend of mine from church, but even more importantly, he's uh, my uh, newest bass fishing buddy. <laughs> so we've got to go out a few times here. We met a couple months ago and enjoying fishing with you a lot so yeah. far. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Uh, you know, uh, I don't have a boat, so it's always good to have a friend that fishes and has a boat. That, so. Yeah, that's the, the one thing that's better than owning a boat is to know somebody who owns one, right? I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that. I'm just uh, too dumb to, <laughs> I think that to not be the so. one with the boat. <laughs> oh, so, well, just, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do during the week when you'd rather be out fishing. Yeah, boy. So uh, most of my career has been spent in sales. Uh, the last six years, I, I've worked for a company by the name of Phillips Healthcare, and I'm in marketing. So I go to an office, you know, five days a week, and I spend all day in the office thinking of ways to uh, get people to buy stuff that we build. However, one of the really interesting parts of my job is the office is uh, on the same property as a small pond. So when the days begin to get long or gets to be a bit repetitive, I keep a fishing pole actually at my desk and I keep a worm on it and I will go out and throw it in the pond uh, for 15, 20 minutes, maybe during lunch, maybe after a bad meeting or after a long day. So that's, it's a nice way to relieve some stress. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Keeping a rod in the <laughs> office. I, I never thought of doing that, but you got me thinking now I need an emergency rod for when the next, uh, emergency fishing episode is ready to break out. Well, if you ever visit me, you're always welcome to use my rod. I tell anyone that comes visit our office that if they get a hankering to go fishing, the rod's right there, the pond's out there, just go at it and then you'll feel much better. Just, just leave another worm if you, uh, if yeah. you use up the old one, right? <laughs> yeah, Bring that's some right. spare worms. Cool. So, well, so how'd you get your, uh, where, how'd you get bit by the fishing bug? Where, when did you get started? Well, so that's a great question. Um, so interestingly enough, the men in my family, like my father or my grandfather and my uncles, none of them were fishermen. They were not outdoorsmen at all. Um, but I grew up in a lower kind of blue collar type neighborhood and I had several friends, uh, friends that fished, but because, um, my father didn't fish and my grandfather didn't fish, i never had a fishing pole. And I remember one day and I was maybe nine, eight, nine, maybe 10 years old. And a bunch of my friends were going fishing and, and I was sad because I didn't have a pole to go with. And my grandmother asked me, what's wrong, Donald? And I said, well, you know, all my friends are going fishing, Brent and Brian and Melvin and my cousin Jeff. And 
and I, I can't go. And she said, why? I said, well, Grandma, I don't have a fishing pole. And she goes, well, I got a fishing pole you can use. And I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, yeah, sure, right, Grandma. And lo and behold, she went into her closet and came back out with a Zebco 33, which was oh, my first yeah. fishing pole yeah, at the age too. of nine. So uh, we had a reservoir down the street from us. It was um, it was a it was a on like city land, and it had bass and catfish and everything else. And you know, back in those days, I didn't know anything about fishing. All we knew was you put a hook on there, a bobber, you dug up some worms, threw it on there, and you caught whatever you caught. You know, mm -hmm. one day it may be bass, next it might be a, a catfish, might be you know, a brim or, or whatever, bluegill, you just never knew. Uh, but that's how I started fishing, and I just fell in love with it and have been fishing ever since. Yeah, the old Zebco 33, that was, <laughs> that was the standard. I had several of those and caught, caught lots of fish on them. Oh, yeah. They did oh, the yeah. trick. So, so where was that that you grew up? This was in Newport News, Virginia. So okay. not known to be bass capital or anything. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think at that age, and, and in fact, for many, many years, I really even understood fishing or how to do it better. I just knew I liked being out there on the water. We would build little homemade rafts and float out in the middle of the reservoir and fish. You know, we mm -hmm. just... Anything to get out on the water and and throw a line throw a line in and see if we could catch something, and even back then we didn't really keep them. We just kind of catch and release uh, because we were barely old enough to know how to fish. We certainly weren't old enough to know how to clean them or anything like that. So we would just catch them and throw them back. And I remember we would play hooky sometimes and have fishing contests to see how many fish we could catch, at least until we got caught playing hooky. <laughs> Did you fish, you know, as you got up through college and um, so, into work? and? Yeah. So I fished most of my uh, school age years mm -hmm. all the way up through, I would say, high school. Uh, and being so close to the coast, we did a lot of freshwater fishing, but we did some saltwater fishing as well. I didn't do as much saltwater because... Again, you had to have friends that had boats, and being in lower blue-collar neighborhood, uh, we didn't have any friends with boats. Right, uh, right. You know, we, we built our own rafts to go out in freshwater, but we did some surf fishing. And then when I got to college, I really didn't do any fishing. I, I lived in Atlanta, and, and I know there's good fishing there. We just didn't really mm -hmm. do much fishing. I didn't really start picking up fishing again until I started having kids, and I wanted them to know what it was like to go fishing. And, right. my, and I have three daughters and a son. And my youngest daughter loves fishing, absolutely loves it. So uh, I have a story I'd love to share with you. Sure. When she was about, uh, I think she was about four or five, and my next youngest daughter was probably about seven. We went fishing in a little pond up in Virginia. At that time, I was living in Chesapeake, Virginia. And uh, we were catching little bluegill. They didn't have the patience to fish for bass. So, you know, I'd put a little bread ball on the end of a hook and a bobber and throw it out there. And we were killing the bluegill. And I was throwing them back. And my daughters were really irritated that I was throwing them back. And I said, well, what do you want, me, what do you want to do with these bluegill we're catching? She said, well, we want to take them home and eat them. I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. And, and they insisted. So I said, okay. And we had a bucket of about 20 bluegill mm -hmm. and uh we had been catching them all afternoon and and that's after we fed the um the the, the big bird next was the heron right uh, yeah. as many as he could eat and i took them home and i uh, cleaned 20 25 bluegill gutted them scaled them 
and my wife cooked them all up, put them on the table, and my daughters took one bite and said, oh my God, that's disgusting. <laughs> I said, well, what'd you think it was going to taste like? They said, we thought it was going to taste like fish sticks. <laughs> so uh, the lesson there is, is bluegill don't taste like fish sticks. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh... When your daughters say, bring home a bucket of fish, tell them, well, you got to clean it. Yeah, yeah. Next time, you clean them if you want to eat them. Yeah, right. So what kind of fishing do you do now, mostly? So living in Florida, uh, I love bass fishing. I don't know that I have found a lake that does not have bass in it. Uh, I mean, you you can drive down the road, and I usually keep a pole in my Jeep with me wherever I go because you just never know when you're going to find that little right. fishing hole. So bass fishing primarily, uh, but I really like doing uh, flats fishing. So I'll go out to Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River area, and I'll go out there on my paddleboard or on my kayak and fish for reds or black drum or speckled trout, whatever I can catch. Uh, lately, it seems like I've been catching a lot of catfish, which isn't all that fun. <laughs> Not so good. No. Not so good, but uh, but I do enjoy it. I just don't do it as often because it's a little bit further and it's not quite as convenient as, right. as calling my buddy up, John, and saying, hey, are you going fishing today? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to our story with Don Enoch. As avid anglers... Our mission is always fishing, but at the Telltale Fisherman, our mission is to find the most epic fishing stories from around the world, and to do that, we need your help. When you share us on social media, that's like casting a line in a new pond, lake, or ocean where the next trophy fishing story awaits. Go to tell.fish, click one of our social media icons, and help cast the net for our next inductee to the Telltale Hall of Fame. And now back to our story with Don Enoch. And the story you're going to tell us today is actually a, uh, a flats fishing paddleboard story, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, actually, you know, I started flats fishing not in Florida. I started in South Carolina. Oh. And that's where I got the bug to fish for reds. So uh, I don't remember how long ago it was. It was many years ago. Uh, I have a friend of mine that had a vacation home on Harbor Island, South Carolina, which is uh, north of Hilton Head, but just south of Beaufort, South Carolina. And, and unless you really know that area, it's South Carolina lowlands. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's real marshy. But right. the, this area was right uh, just south of Edisto Beach. So when the tide changes there, you can go from having the ocean right up to the beach right in front of your house. And when the tide's out, you can have just channels all over the place that fill up with redfish. So how big a t of a tide swing? Is it three, four feet, do you think? Or? Uh, it's not so much that it's a big swing, but that it's so low there mm -hmm. and so flat that you can have a foot or two of tide change and it'll clear out a mile of water because it's so shallow oh, right wow. so you have it's shallow with a lot of deep trenches Got so it. when the tide goes out all that shallow flat becomes ground and right. land and when it and it's all bulrush that grass mm -hmm. and when it comes up it fills in and looks like ocean but it may only be a, a foot or two deep 
Right. So it, it looks like it swings a lot. It's not so much it swings a lot. It's just so shallow and so flat there. It move, The water moves in very far. So is it hard to find the fish when it's all flooded, but then it gets easier once the tide goes out? Or So I, I found that the fish are easier to, easiest to find and catch during this tide transitions versus the mm -hmm. slack tide, right? right? So when the tide's coming in hard, or going out hard, they that's when they seem to be easiest to find. During the slack tide, it they don't seem to be as active. Yeah. Uh, in this area of South Carolina where I was. Right. So we, uh, like I said, I don't remember what year it was, um, but it, it, I would say it's been five, six years ago, probably. I was in South Carolina with, with a friend of mine. His name is Jack Graham, and we were there with our families, and we were there for a week, and. And really, I took my paddle boards because I wanted to go surfing. Mm -hmm. uh, but evidently, the surfing's not real good in this area. <laughs> uh, but what I found out quickly is the fishing is very good. Mm -hmm. And my buddy had said, you know, we should go fishing for spot-tailed bass. I said, for what? Spot-tailed bass? I was like, well, what's that? And he said, redfish. I said, oh, redfish. So in South Carolina, they call them spot-tailed bass. I had not heard that before. That's what they call them, spot-tailed bass. Oh. You know, they call them red drum, red fish. Down Reds. here, we always call them redfish. Right. But up there, they call them spot-tailed bass. Huh. I said, oh, so we, I, I had a couple of um, not really light bass poles, kind of medium, medium heavy mm -hmm. saltwater rigs. And I'd put basically just a drop rig with a weight on the bottom and a hook coming off, uh, a hook or two coming off the side of it. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to go look and uh, buy any bait. So we had a cast net. So, and I love cast net fishing yeah. anyways. And mullet were everywhere. So um, so every day I'd go out and cast net for mullet and, and I would just fish off the bank. And uh, But I noticed that you could see the reds tailing up in the bulrush, but you, it wasn't easy to get to them without a boat. Well, right. I had my paddleboard. So I got my paddleboard out, and I'd never really been paddleboard fishing. So this is my first try. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, and this was uh, a pretty kind of epic scenery, right? I mean, if you think about South Carolina and, and just the coastlands down there, it's really beautiful. And this part is not commercial at all. So it's, it's homes and houses. Uh, there's no commercial hotels or buildings down there. So it's a really picturesque area. And after I'd been fishing a day or two, I got this brilliant idea, like I should do this off my paddleboard, because then I could paddle up into the bulrush when the tide is in right. or coming in or coming out and, and fish up in the bulrush where I couldn't get to from the, from the land. Mm -hmm. So I rigged up a, a pole, went out on my paddleboard and I didn't have anything out there with me. I had no tackle, I had no pliers, nothing. It was just me, a pole and my paddle. I obviously had not thought this through very carefully. <laughs> so, um, I, I did have a little bucket that had mullet in it because mm -hmm. I knew I needed bait. And I went out there, and it was a beautiful day, as I recall. It was a little bit overcasty. I think it was maybe 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and the tide was coming in. Mm -hmm. um, so it had, it had started to fill up all the shallow areas and all the channels, and the bulrush was starting to get covered. So I think it was maybe three, four feet deep in places. So it wasn't mm -hmm. real, real deep. And I just started casting out into the bulrush. And I had been fishing, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And 
and my line takes off. And when I say take off, I'm talking, it wasn't like a bass hit where mm-hmm. you're like, it just, it just started going is you could just hear it just and I was thinking, I got something big here. Mm-hmm. And I just let it go, and I started reeling. Now the fish is pulling me on the paddleboard, and I'm <laughs> going into the bulrush, and it's pulling me through the grass. So I reel it in, reel it in. And I think I got it maybe 15, 20 feet from the board, and um, it took a turn on me, and it pulled me off the board. <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately, it wasn't real, real deep. I was only in about waist-deep uh, waist water. Uh, so I held on to my pole, grabbed my board, jumped back on, and reeled him in. And and uh, the picture I showed you. So it was a nice 24, 25 inch redfish. It was beautiful. Now there was no way I could have gotten him back to shore. Right. Fortunately, my buddy was out there in a kayak <laughs> watching me, and he paddled up. So we were able to take the redfish off and stick it in the kayak. And he literally just stuck it in the kayak between his legs and paddled back. Because we did eat that fish, yeah, it, and it was good. And that one was had, good, I bet. Oh, it was, oh, it was so wonderful. We had fish tacos that night. Be- better than bluegill, huh? Better than bluegill, <laughs> much better than bluegill. In fact, my daughter ate that one, and, and uh, she also thought it was better than bluegill. Awesome. So yeah, I mean that's, I, I've seen guys who paddleboard fished, and I've done it a little bit myself, experimenting, but. I've always wondered what happens when you hook into a good fish and you're on a board like that. And apparently you go for a ride. You go like. definitely will go for a ride. And and that, now that was a 24 inch. I mean, I, I'd hate to think what would happen if you're out in Mosquito Lagoon and you, you uh, hooked into one of those big 40, 50 inch monsters out there. I mean, I imagine you could go for a ride for days. You, you may have an extra mile or two to paddle back to the yeah, above launch probably. Without a doubt. Thanks for sharing that story with us, Tom. It was my pleasure. Do you know someone who would be a great guest on the Telltale Fisherman? If so, go to tell.fish slash guest and recommend them for the show. We won't bug them. We'll just give them the chance to share the story of their lifetime and become a fishing legend. Visit tell.fish slash guest. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.